Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Disney Time Podcast. I'm your host, Mike, and joining me today are my co-hosts, Nelson. Hello. And Rissa. Hello. How's it going today, guys? Good. Doing quite well. How about you? Doing all right. It's been uh, pretty smoky outside, you know, those (laughs) fires going. Seriously. You guys uh, been affected by that smoke? It's like really bothering us, or even the fires been affected by it? Well, not me personally, but... um, my parents' house got really, really close, or the fire got really close to my parents' house. It was too close for comfort. So could they could they like see it from the yard? The, uh, the fire? Yeah, it was kind of um, off in the distance, but still like it was cre- it was creeping up onto their neighborhood. Yeah, so they did evacuate at some point. But that's um, pretty scary. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, they uh, were able to um, come back. They lifted the evac order. Uh, the following day. Well, that's a good thing that it didn't uh, actually reach them. Yeah, they, it got close though. I mean, when I came, I actually visited them this weekend, and uh, yeah, driving up to their house, I saw the charred hillsides by the like pretty much in their backyard, like further out, but still, that's <laughs> it got really close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's been like that the past couple weeks. So <laughs> yeah, hopefully it, they get some sort of containment. All right, so on today's episode, we are going to resume our Disney vacation of stories, um, fairy tales now, and uh, we're going to be talking about Sleeping Beauty today. So you guys ready to talk about Sleeping Beauty? Yeah, let's do it. All right, um, so Rissa, you want to talk about uh, the Peralt summary since the story that the animated feature was taken from was the Peralt summary, or Peralt story? Yeah, so... As you know, Sleeping Beauty is not a new story. Uh, Originally, there was a grim version. Uh, Peralt then took on the version and crafted his own. So this is uh, what Disney based their story on. At the christening of a king and queen's long wish for a child, seven good fairies are invited to be the godmothers to an infant princess. The fairies all attend, but an old fairy is overlooked because she's been missing for a while, uh, locked within a tower. Not really locked, but she's been there for many years, leading everybody to believe that she was actually dead. Six of the seven fairies offer gifts of beauty, wit, grace, dance, song, and goodness. The evil fairy enchants the princess so that she will one day prick her finger on a spindle of a spinning wheel and die. The seventh fairy, who hadn't given her gift yet, attempts to reverse the curse, but she can only reduce it so that the princess will fall into a deep slumber for 100 years to be awakened by a kiss from a king's son. To prevent the curse from happening, the king then destroys all of the spinning wheels in the kingdom. The curse eventually happens, so the king and queen place the princess in the finest room of the palace. The fairies place a sleeping spell on the entire castle and their shield sh- uh, they shield the castle with thorns and brambles to protect it from sight. 100 years later, a prince happens upon the castle on a hunting trip and he kisses the princess. They wed in secret, have two children, but then 
when the prince ascends to the throne, his mother, who is secretly an ogress, demands uh, to be fed her two grandchildren and the young queen. She's fooled by the kind-hearted cook, and eventually the ogress mother is placed in a pit of vipers by her son when he returns as punishment, and she dies. Wow, there's a lot to unpack there. Yes, there is. <laughs> All right, um, so let's take a look at the differences between the original story and the, the Disney change here. So obviously the first thing we see is that in the original story, there were seven good fairies that attended and uh, one evil fairy that was forgotten. And in the Disney change, there are only three good fairies and then the one evil fairy that was forgotten. So uh, what, do you th- what do you think about this change, Nelson? Uh, I mean, for me personally, there's not that big of a change. I mean, sure, it's just a sheer number of fairies, but... I don't really see a need to change the number. Like the, mm. I don't, I don't understand why Disney decided to make it less, but maybe to have it better for children to understand. You know, have it in smaller bites, not needing all seven. It, it's just another number, I guess. <laughs> what do you think, Rissa? Why do you think uh, they decided to go with three rather than seven? Uh, probably cost. Uh, one to simplify the story, and two for the cost of animating. Because for each additional character that they have to animate, that's an additional person that they have to pay. Uh, yeah, and it, and it, it's like uh, ink and paint, right? Right. Um, they have to paint everything, so it costs for <laughs> for all the materials, right? Right, and then you also have to think of character design because the three good fairies already look very similar to each other. They, of course, have their own distinguishing features, but to animate an additional, uh, what is it, four more? That's a, an additional cost. Do you guys think that the reason why they went with red, green, and blue is because those are primary colors and it's cheaper to go with for the three fairies? It's probably that along with the look of it. It's so distinct and easy to identify. Yeah, I was thinking on the lines of since they're like so like everyone can identify red, green, and blue. So they can easily attach each character to you know each one of those colors and that just helped identify who's who. Yeah, I, I think they do the same thing with Huey, Dewey, and Louie. It's very, right. very easy for a, a child to say, okay, this one is that one, you know? Um, also, it's it's really eye-catching having those bright colors. So the next thing that we see here is about the curse. Um, the, the curse in the original story was decreased to a deep sleep for 100 years to be awakened by a kiss from a king's son. And the Disney change was that Meriwether used her gift uh, to weaken the curse so that she can be awakened by true love's kiss. What do you think about that, Rissa? Well, so in the Peralt version, it it sticks more to kind of what Peralt has been known to do with his stories. Whereas instead of influencing women to fall in love at like love at first sight, it's more of it's it's more of a reality where quote-unquote reality when we're dealing with magic but uh she there's no stipulation for her to be awoken by a true love it's more of just a prince that needs to kiss her after a hundred years um Peralt was known to for his stories uh, the moral of the story is to have a woman that is chaste and has good qualities of being kind and being presentable so this goes along with that whereas with when you introduce love in those terms, it's kind of fast and loose kind of thing. So 
that's why this fits with Peralt's version, as opposed to with Disney, where they're kind of influencing young girls to fall in love with a prince who can, you know, save them, damsel in distress type thing. What do you, what do you think, Nelson, about the curse in the original versus the Disney? I mean, ultimately, they're pretty similar. Needing the kiss uh, to lift the curse, and how um, one of them was able to change what the ultimately the curse did. Yeah, I kind of agree. Where Disney was kind of on a roll of kind of giving that it's that unrealistic expectation where um, you know how there's has to be this prince in shining armor to come save the day, you know, and have the true love's first kiss. It's, it's always, it comes back to that because they use that theme quite often in the early Disney movies. Which is why Enchanted is so brilliant. <laughs> right. It's kind of a... Um, it's a parody of the truth. A trope. parody, right. Yeah. Yes. So it, it's, it, and it's very uh, self-aware. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's and, why they hired Alan Menken to write the music because, because it's so, you know, it's in his wheelhouse, not only it being such, you know, meta, so to speak, but it's also, you know, he's making fun of himself. Right. So, uh, again, yeah, Disney, they were kind of using that uh, same trope a lot in the, again, in early Disney movies, but uh, uh, yeah. Do you think they, they wanted to do this to appeal to their audience? Do you think it was like a sign of the times where, where people were used to stories like that, so they just wanted to use it to gain some popularity? Well, I, I think it I think I discussed this back when we talked about Cinderella um and, and Snow White. It it is kind of the sign of the times in the sense that a woman's worth back then, um, sixty uh, fifties, sixties um, early thirties when, it, or late thirties with Snow White, a woman's worth was measured by her status of a husband. You know, it wasn't an individual type of woman that had a career that could fend for herself and is a strong independent woman. That's what we see now. And that's what we see with, um, uh, archetypes like Moana and Anna and Elsa and, um, Mulan even in 98. Uh, but before it was about a, a weak kind of fragile woman that gets saved by a knight in shining armor or has to be rescued by some other force, you know, it wasn't about a strong individual woman. So let's uh, move on to the next piece here where we see in the original story that the princess happens upon an old woman spinning with her spindle and is pricked. And in the Disney change, there's, there's three things here. Aurora is placed in hiding as Briar Rose until her 16th birthday. Then she meets Philip and they fall in love. And then she's lured by Maleficent into touching the spindle of a cursed spinning wheel. So what do you think about that? those changes, Risa? I think it kind of um, stretches out the story a lot more. Uh, the introduction of her being Briar Rose, that's bringing back the Grimm story because she did actually have a name within the Grimm story, which was Briar Rose. Uh, in Peralt, she just had no name similar to all of Peralt's other story. It's like princess or a pseudonym of Cinderella. Um, this is, she actually gets a name in Disney where it's Aurora. Uh, she gets a new name as Briar Rose and she's put into hiding. Um, they had to introduce her falling in love with Philip with the dance and singing, um, what's it? Once upon a dream. Once upon a dream. Yeah. Uh, because of that stipulation of Meriwether's uh, gift. So they had 
this was the first time that the prince actually had more lines than the princess within a Disney movie. So I thought that was a good thing for Philip, but unfortunate for Aurora because she's she has basically no lines in this whole entire movie. Um, having Maleficent have a bigger role by uh, luring Aurora was also a, a good touch because you get to see how malevolent Maleficent is. Yeah, and they and they kind of differed the character of the the evil one, the evil fairy, right? Because it's in the original, she's just the one that was forgotten because she was in a tower. But this one, Maleficent, was just you know looked down upon by the right. other fairies, right? Right. And this one, Maleficent is is so she's the mistress of all evil, so they didn't want to like include her. But the other fairy, she was just forgotten, so she's like. Just for that, I'm going to spite you. Uh, but she didn't lure the princess at all. It was just the princess's curiosity that got the best of her. So what, what do you think about this change, Nelson? Well, for one, I personally think that they did this, like Disney uh, made the change to kind of make it more um, prevalent how evil Maleficent is as a character. So she's the one actually doing the luring of Aurora into actually tricking her to prick her own finger um, to make the... Prophecy, I don't know, uh, curse come true. They introduced uh, Maleficent as the evil character at the very start of the movie, but once uh, Aurora grows up to be, what is it now, 16, then she actually does the luring herself, the manipulation to get her to, you know, still get cursed. That was, uh, I feel, just Disney's way to truly show how evil and uh, manipulative uh, Maleficent is as a character. Um, I also agree that, yeah, they had to introduce Philip early so that they actually show Aurora and Philip having that uh, relationship. And I, I kind of agree in this uh, Disney change because um, as we were kind of uh, went over in the Peralt summary, it's another weird case of um, a prince finding a seemingly inanimate uh, body and just deciding to kiss it. Right. She's <laughs> so, so beautiful, I want to kiss it. Yeah, that's just so freaking weird. It, yeah, consent much. <laughs> so um, I'm glad that Disney decided to introduce uh, Philip, Prince Philip early and actually show some form of interaction between the two that actually did blossom into something more, so... I would still um, call it infatuation. Oh, of course. I mean, <laughs> they I, what they spent a, a grand total of what ten, fifteen minutes of screen time dancing with each other and and you know playing through the wo- uh, in the woods. Right, and so. and in this movie, they each go to their respective parents and are like, "I love this person. I want to, you know, I want to marry them." Without even knowing, like Philip didn't even know she was a princess at the time. Right. I find it kind of weird that in the Disney one, they hid Aurora, but then she was found so easily by Maleficent and by Philip. You know, it's like... Well, she was found by Maleficent because the three fairies brought them brought her back to the castle to celebrate her 16th birthday. It was a reuniting with her parents. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, Maleficent, that, I, that is a good point, though. Maleficent spent those 16 years trying to find Aurora. So she was... She was uh, Pretty evil. Then they, yeah, it's kind of like, I think in the live one, they had like an enchant, didn't they have like an enchantment around Aurora? And then it was like broken or something? It's been so long since I watched yeah, the live action. I, I need to, for one, they haven't put the the first Maleficent uh, movie on Disney Plus yet. <laughs> so All right. I haven't had a chance to rewatch it. <laughs> so the next change that we saw was that the king and queen placed their daughter in the finest room in the palace 
and call upon the good fairy in the original story. And in the Disney version, the fairies put Aurora in a bed in the highest tower and perform the sleeping spell. They realize that Philip is the key to awakening Aurora. So what do you think about this change, Risa? So in this change, um, it's really centered around the fact that the fairies have... There's no 100-year stipulation. The original story is... It's just flat out it's gonna be she's gonna be in a deep sleep for a hundred years because of the curse uh she's only gonna be awakened after that so everybody gets placed under their sleeping curse so it's it's straightforward everybody is gonna be asleep for a hundred years whereas in the Disney change there's still a hope there because it's just they need to find somebody that Aurora has fallen in love with but for all this time they didn't know that she fell in love with anybody except when Aurora was telling the fairies, she met this guy, she kind of loves him. They don't know who he is, but eventually they realize because they overhear the two kings, um, Stefan and, and uh, Philip's father, while they're drowsy because they're casting a sleeping spell, discussing how Philip asked him to marry Aurora, but didn't know who, who she was. And Aurora asked them that she wanted to marry him, but he, she didn't know who he actually was. So that's how they pieced it together. And that's how they they realize, okay, Philip is a key. We need to find him and and bring him to Aurora to to kiss her. So what what do you think about that change, Nelson? In all honesty, I don't really see, I personally don't see that much of a difference other than who did it. (laughs) So the the fairies are the ones that place Aurora into, uh, in in bed to, because she's now, you know, in a, in that deep sleep. And then in the original story, it's just the king and queen doing it. So I don't really see that much of a difference. It's just who. But for the Disney change where the fairies actually realize that Prince Philip is the key, um, that's kind of just maybe plot device is the right word for this. But it's it's to show for like for the little kids to understand and make that connection is to help, you know, show them kind of like what the end game would be towards the end of the movie, what the end goal would be. Yeah, so that they know that. Oh, they need to get Philip to kiss her, to wake her up. All right, so now let's look at the next difference. And we see in the original story that 100 years pass before the princess and castle are found by the prince. And in the Disney version, we've got Maleficent abducting Philip and torturing him by saying he's only going to see Aurora once he is on the verge of death, whilst she would not have aged a single day. And then the fairies rescue Philip give him magical weapons and armor, and then he fights a battle with Maleficent, who turns into a dragon. Philip defeats Maleficent, kisses Aurora, and breaks the spell to wake the whole kingdom up. So, uh, Rissa, what do you think about this difference here? So, in the original story, like we were saying, um, it's just a hundred years straight up before the princess and the castle are found. This prince knows nothing about this princess, nothing about the curse or the castle, and he happens upon her and decides, oh, she's pretty, I'm going to kiss her. Wow. Consent much? Um, whereas in the Disney change, we do know that Philip at least is infatuated with Aurora, but also there's that problem of consent there. She's sleeping. She can't say, yes, you can kiss me. That's not a good lesson for children. The good lesson, I guess, here is that Philip battles evil with um, truth and justice armor and a, a magical weapon. And he he slays a dragon for somebody that he thinks he loves. So I think that's cool. It really drives home the fact that Maleficent is really evil where she's torturing somebody by dangling Aurora in front of him and uh, turning into a straight up dragon with a green lime green fire. But still, I have 
the problem with uh, not introducing consent here. So what do you what do you think about it, Nelson? So I personally think that Disney made the change to introduce an uh, kind of like a, an exciting and action scene, like to lead up to the conflict here. So yeah, it it showed it it continued to show how evil Maleficent was by Kimnak by showing. Uh, Prince Philip being kidnapped and torturing him, but um, with the fairies actually helping him and getting him to, they rescue him. It shows, or they provided him with, you know, the magic armor and and, uh, weapons. And yeah, like it showed Maleficent turning into an, like a big, powerful evil dragon. And it's kind of makes that connection to old medieval times where, you know, there's the knights of fighting off all these you know, big dragons. They wanted to kind of show how, uh, in, a, in a very recognizable way of uh, good versus evil. So the knight fighting the dragon. It was also, like I was saying earlier, uh, a nice uh, kind of action scene here. Something exciting to watch. And there is an actual battle that's fought. And we we end up seeing, you know, Philip tossing uh, his magic sword and it stabs Maleficent. That's how he defeats her. And yeah, it was just, you know, good triumphing over evil. So that's what that big scene was. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting the way that they put that out there. It's like good versus bad. You have that, that contrast so that, they, that you can see it clear as day, right? It's like Right, since the original was uh, nowhere near as exciting. It's just, it's just amount of time passes and yeah, like Rissa was explaining how a, just some random guy came across this castle somehow and yeah, found the girl inside. It's like, oh, I'm gonna kiss you. <laughs> so, so with that in the original story, Rissa, you know the seventh fairy who who did the the reduction of a deep to a deep sleep for a hundred years. Was it going to end in a hundred years? And then because she knew that the uh, prince was gonna come, or you know, like was it a prophecy or something like that? Because like, why would a prince just happen upon it after a hundred years, like exactly or something like that? I don't know. Um... I guess the way that Peralt wrote it is that after a hundred years, a prince would come and 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 kiss her. So it's like for certain that it's going to happen, right? I, I suppose. Yeah. So that's why I'm thinking that maybe that the spell drew the prince in and it compelled him to kiss her rather than him seeing, oh, it's a pretty girl. I'm going to kiss her. You know, maybe it's the magic like saying, hey, you need to kiss this princess, you know? Well, there's that's still that's still a, a problem of consent, I suppose, because magic is compelling him to kiss somebody. Well, I mean, yeah, it's like it's forcing him to do it, though, right? You know, but I, I, I mean, I, I see where you know you don't have consent, but, but on both I think sides that, there. Yeah, exactly. But couldn't that be said that hey, the magic spell got him to find the castle and all that stuff? I guess so. But in both stories, there's still that issue of consent. Yeah, yeah, they don't they don't show it. They don't portray portray it in either. So, yeah. but then, you know, like in the Peralt times, maybe they were considering women as property. So, oh, they <laughs> definitely were. They definitely were. Um, for Disney, I, I don't, <laughs> there's no excuse there. Right. Yeah. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't show it. So, yeah. So I, I'm hoping that, you know, parents that show their kids, these are actually having conversations with, with their kids about it. Definitely. That it's not okay to just run, run up to somebody that's sleeping and kiss them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That could be problematic. Right. <laughs> could be. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> it, it is. It, will, it is problematic if they do that. All right. So the next one we see here, the next difference is uh, the enchantment ends in the original and everyone awakens, goes about their business. The prince and princess wed in the castle chapel. After wedding the princess in secret, 
the prince continues to visit her and she bears him two children, uh, Aurora Dawn and Jour Day, unbeknown to his mother, who is of an Orgur lineage. When the time comes for the prince to ascend to the throne, he brings his wife, children, and the Talibut, Count of the Mount. And then um, in the Disney change, the royal couple descends to the ballroom where Aurora is reunited with her parents. Flora and Meriwether resume their dispute over the gown, uh, Aurora's gown, while the happy couple dance, living happily ever after. Rissa, what do you think about this change here? So this change, uh, in the original story, uh, she didn't have a, a name. So Aurora is Dawn, and that's where Disney got the name Aurora from, from the original. Um, and it's actually the name of her daughter rather than her own name. And this change of not including the ogre mother, I think it's a smart move. <laughs> Uh, it's it's more simple where you know they don't get married yet. It's it's just they get to dance off into happily ever after because that's how they fell in love. They were dancing in the forest. This the original story is a little weird where they got married in secret. Like it it didn't make any sense to me why he had to marry her in secret because she herself is a princess as well. Maybe it's because she's a one hundred sixteen year old princess and nobody knows about her and her kingdom anymore. But yeah. Uh, Peralt kind of lost me on that one. Yeah, because it's been it's been a hundred years since uh, they last seen that con- that whole kingdom. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what do you what do you think about this change, Nelson? Personally, I think that Disney decided to leave this out and change it pretty much entirely uh, for simplicity's sake. Because for me personally, I was thinking like, where did the the mother being of ogre lineage? Where did that come from? That kind of just was thrown out of like grabbed out of a hat. <laughs> um, I don't understand why that um why that needed to be (laughs) so at least in the original uh story so and it would have just been i guess weird to introduce a character this late in the game another character especially after the main conflict had been um finished so yeah i think disney just needed to or wanted to simplify the story here well also her being an ogress that eats Children is very Hansel and Gretel. Oh, true. Uh, so, well, do you know if that's uh, that was um, inspired by the Grimm version, you think? I'm not sure. I didn't really take a look at the Grimm version because I knew that uh, Disney borrowed Peralt. Yeah, yeah. I have to agree that, you know, they wouldn't want to introduce the, you know, the another character here, especially because they, they showed Philip being a, a prince already and it wasn't 100 years later. So, you know, the parents of Philip knew the parents of Aurora. So it's like, you know, you can't have an ogress mother. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Or can you? <laughs> I mean, they probably could, but it, it just wouldn't make any sense. Yeah. Especially for a movie that they were only expecting to have one part to, right? Like this is the only movie for it. No yeah. sequel or something. Yeah. Yeah. And it kind of makes it seem like there's a second um, evil uh, person to deal with. <laughs> right. And that Not would extend it or something. Yeah. Right. All right. Uh, so let's look at the last thing that was totally left out, um, and, it, and it has to do with that ogress, ogress queen mother. So in the story, the Peralt version, the ogress queen mother sends the young queen and the children to a house secluded in the woods and directs her cook to prepare the boy with sauce robert for dinner. The kind-hearted cook substitutes a lamb for the boy, which satisfies the queen mother. She then demands the girl, but the cook this time substitutes a young goat, which also satisfies the queen mother. When the ogress demands that 
he serve up the young queen, uh, the latter offers to slit her throat so that she may join the children that she imagines are dead. Uh, while the queen mother is satisfied with a hind prepared with saucer bear in place of the young queen, there's a tearful secret reunion of the queen and the children. The queen mother discovers the cook's trick and she prepares a tub filled with vipers and other creatures. The king returns in time and the ogress is thrown into the tub. The king, queen, and children then live happily ever after. So yeah, that was totally left out in the movie. We could probably see why here. So Rissa, what do you think? Yeah, so it's very smart of Disney to not include this because it seems like it could be its own story on its own. Like it's it's so crazy having an ogress mother. I think Peralt's um, initial thing isn't like an the arc the stereotypical ogre looking kind of beast, but just an ugly woman that's also a cannibal. Um, based on the language, that's probably what he was leaning towards. I like the addition of the cook being so kind-hearted. It's sort of like um, with the kind-hearted, where Disney took the kind-hearted uh, huntsman. This is still super, super grim where it's it's cannibalism. There's not much you can do with that. It's, it's basically Hansel and Gretel, um, but times a million because it's, <laughs> I don't know. It, it's just really gross. Yeah, definitely. So what do you think about this portion of that story, Nelson? Well, for one, I didn't know it existed. <laughs> <laughs> and just, you know, going over it just now, I was like, dang, this is dark. <laughs> oh, yeah. This is so gross. Um, and yeah, I could see Disney's just looking at this as like, yeah, we don't need to include any of this. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm glad that they didn't. Because, yeah, this is super dark and it's, uh, you know, the Disney that we know and love, it's, uh, yeah, this is definitely not something that they would even attempt to Disneyfy. So uh, I'm glad that they didn't include any part of this. And, um, yeah, that the original story kind of just scares me now. And I don't know who's more evil, the, the, the evil fairy or this ogress queen mother. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's like, why? Why did she want to eat all of them? That doesn't. That doesn't make sense either. <laughs> Ogresses do what they're gonna do. <laughs> or oh, they, yeah. they do what they always do. Eat people, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so yeah, I actually, I actually think they could have made a whole another movie for this. Uh, maybe not. Maybe not at this time period. Maybe later on, because I know Disney went through this whole thing with. I, if you guys remember the Black Cauldron. That was like their their attempt at doing a reboot in the animated realm, and it was really dark. That was a dark movie. Did, did you guys ever watch it? I know it's on Disney Plus now. Did you guys ever see that? The Black Cauldron. Yeah. No, I didn't actually. Um, I, I'm reading this other article actually, and Peralt's version didn't include a kiss. That really came, that came from Grimm. Okay. Okay. So yeah. so his his was just the curse would get reversed. After, After 100, 100 years. years, yeah. So what yeah. happened there with the, the prince um, finding her? They just got married in secret? Yeah. Okay, so he never kissed her to wake her up then? Nope. All right then. So yeah, so of course, I mean, the, the other story that we had, the grim version, like in Snow White, that's where they had that kiss, right? Also creepy, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so the kiss of the, or was it not? No, it wasn't. It no, was, it they was didn't a, kiss. Dislodging. It was yeah. dislodging. So now they added. They decided to add a kiss in sleeping in their Sleeping Beauty one for yeah. some reason. <laughs> well, 
Well, she wasn't at least dead. Right, she was asleep. Yeah. They knew she was asleep. Right, because she's called Sleeping Beauty. All right. So I guess then it's a combination. We have a combination. Right. Um, yeah, that was my opinion. I was like, I, was like, I, th- I think they could have, you know, done a, a, se- a separate movie. <laughs> with the ogress? Yeah, with the ogress. Like, ogress queen. Do you think you, they would still try to make a connection to Sleeping Beauty or literally make like kind of a spinoff of it, make it kind of its own self-contained movie of this kind of subplot? I think they could. I think they would have done a separate movie, knowing that they did uh, Sleeping Beauty the way they they did without an ogress. I think they could have just taken that portion, made a whole movie out of it. <laughs> At that point, just do Hansel and Gretel, though. Right, right, right. Do a Hansel and Gretel. Yeah. Because that's that. I feel like that's more well known than this portion and storytelling of Sleeping Beauty, especially now, because I didn't. Honestly, before I did this research, I had no idea that even existed. It's like, why did he tack that on? It seemed like it was done already. Like He's I, trying to throw a twist or something like that? I have no idea. It's interesting, though. It's interesting to see how these stories evolve throughout the years. Do you think that maybe he was trying to make it a longer story, like a long form or something like that, so he had to throw in that twist in there? Possibly. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to... To ask these questions when, yeah, when the author's the, the, dead. Yeah, the source material is a, uh, or the source author is no longer. Um, we we can't ask that person. <laughs> right, right, exactly. You can only speculate. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's based off of um, the grim version too. You know, they all borrow from each other, and I feel like it's like the monster in law kind of thing, where it's a mother in law that's evil. Oh, okay. So. You know, that's probably where that came from. Um, yeah. Like like where they show like stepmothers are evil and like the, the mother-in-law or something like that is, is trying to trying to sabotage the, the family or whatever. Right. Okay. So it, it's like a building, building upon something that was like known or, or a, a stereotype or something. Right. All right. Cool. So those are all the differences that we saw um, between the... The story, the Peralt slash Grimm, and the movie, the animated. So, uh, do you guys have any overall thoughts, Rissa? Do you have any overall thoughts? I mean, there's a lot of different versions of of Sleeping Beauty out there. Um, there's a lot of adaptations, whether it's live action or animated. Uh, so, if you really like this tale and you really like how uh, there's fairies and magic and all that involved, um, go ahead and check those out. Uh, there's if you go to the Wikipedia for Sleeping Beauty and you scroll down to media, there's a lot of film and television, um, including Once Upon a Time. They included um, the ABC show on that list. So there's some elements of Sleeping Beauty within there. Um, Aurora and Philip are featured very heavily. Um, Mulan is also part of that story with Aurora and Philip. So I suggest that you uh, check that out, this, this Once Upon a Time. And yeah, I, I mean, I'm okay with the the story of Sleeping Beauty. It's not my favorite, but the newer versions of it are definitely better. Probably not the first Maleficent, but yeah. The Mistress of All Evil one, though. I haven't even gotten a chance to watch it yet, but I'm sure it's better. Okay, okay. All right, Nelson, uh, overall thoughts on the written story versus the movie stories? So yet again, another uh, very 
interesting comparison between original source material versus what Disney decided to do with it. Um, it it was actually quite um, like new to me. I didn't know all, like that whole second subplot with the whole ogre's queen. I didn't know that was a thing. Like that was in the original. So it, it was also kind of a learning experience. But I'm glad that Disney didn't uh, do anything with it. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, just another uh, pretty interesting uh, comparison between uh, another iconic uh, Disney movie because, you know, we get um, definitely another princess and prince with uh, Prince Philip. And then, of course, the Big Daddy. I think the most um, uh, the most iconic one out of all of these characters is probably Maleficent, in all honesty. Yeah, She's which is using- great. Yeah, and it's she's a you know a big baddie. She's used as like a big baddie in even Kingdom Hearts and Fantasmic and Fantasmic. Yeah, so they Disney definitely established Maleficent with this movie. Yet they definitely then like con- made it um, made her an iconic like villain within the Disney universe. Yeah, I think that's a good point because it's also the fact that she's the original. Um, departure from this story. Right. Oh, as in they, they made a movie about her? Well, no, it's, it's it, as they actually pulled Oh, yeah, they, they a named villain. her. Yeah, got They it, pulled got a it. villain out of this story, and that's the original element of this of this movie, rather yeah, than... Yeah, because the story didn't have the, her in there, like, named. Right, well, the original fairy, she was just like, I'm going to spite you, I'm going to curse you, and then I'm going to leave you alone. Right, okay, got it. They built a whole villain around that concept of a, a fairy. Yeah. Yeah, and they showed in the movie how like how truly evil she is by and vindictive. <laughs> right. right, right. Cool. Yeah, I have to I have to agree with you guys here that Maleficent probably is the biggest takeaway from this movie because this is probably one of the first times that you see like a super villain. You know, like well, not really super villains. Like she's like a big big villain not not some just oh they're just going to defeat the villain so easy or something like that it's she's she was like really really powerful so yeah they they really and they gave her a lot of character too so i like that all right and rissa you want to say anything to our listeners for close to close yeah so as we go on with this series we're going to have a pretty big time jump uh the next one is going to be little mermaid and that's a 30 year gap um, as you know, that's probably due to the dark times of, of Disney animation. Um, but the later we get in this series, the more differences you'll start to see. So hopefully um, you'll be able to keep up with all of the things we're, we're pointing out. Um, but until then, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. And uh, thank you for tuning in and hanging in there with us. And Nelson, you want to say anything to our listeners here? Yeah, thanks guys for joining us this week and uh I'd like to announce that hey, I'm back if you guys didn't notice. I um haven't been in the last couple of episodes because I uh, had a big change in life here. Um I'm finally back in the bay. <laughs> so hey. Yeah, I'm I'm significantly closer to all my close friends and family and um due to that big move, I was uh, you know, busy with all that uh, all that it entails. <laughs> so glad to be back. And um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this uh, the series or this uh, new episode as part of this uh, sub-series. So I uh, hope you guys come back for next week. So yeah, 
welcome back to Nelson. And thanks to you listeners. Hopefully you guys welcome him back as well. Stay tuned for next week because we're going to be continuing with this series. And on behalf of the other two, I'd like to say keep your watches. Sync to Disney time. See ya. Bye. Later.